this morning. This is uh, Sangyuta Nikaya, um, the uh, first book, um, section six, Brahma Sangyuta. I'll just read a little piece from this. <clears throat> Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Uruvela on the bank of the river Niranjara at the foot of the goat herd's banyan tree, just after he had become fully enlightened. Then, while the Blessed One was alone in seclusion, a reflection arose in his mind thus <coughs> This Dhamma that I have discovered is deep, hard to see hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, not within the sphere of reasoning, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. But this generation delights in adhesion, takes delight in in adhesion, rejoices in adhesion, For such a generation, this state is hard to see. That is specific conditionality, dependent origination. And this state too is hard to see. That is the stilling of all formations, the relinquishment of all acquisitions, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. If I were to teach the Dhamma, and if others would not understand me, that would be wearisome for me, that would be troublesome. <coughs> Enough now we're trying to teach what I've found with so much hardship, this Dhamma that is not easily understood by those oppressed by lust and hate. Those fired by lust, obscured by darkness, will never see this abstruse Dhamma, deep, hard to see, subtle, going against the stream. As the Blessed One reflected thus, his mind inclined to living at ease, not teaching the Dhamma. Then Brahma Sahampati, having known with his own mind the reflection in the Blessed One's mind, thought, Alas, the world is lost, alas, the world is to perish, and that the mind of the Tathagata, the Arahant, the perfectly enlightened one, inclines to living at ease, not teaching the Dhamma. Then just as quickly as a strong man might extend his drawn-in arm, or draw in his extended arm, Brahma Sahampati disappeared from the Brahma world and reappeared before the Blessed One. He arranged his upper over one shoulder, knelt down with his right knee on the ground, raised his joined hands in reverence, reverential salutation towards the Blessed One, and said to him, Venerable Sir, let the Blessed One teach the Dhamma. Let the fortunate one teach the Dhamma. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they do not hear the Dhamma. There will be those who will understand the Dhamma. <coughs> Then the Blessed One, having understood Brahma's request, out of compassion for beings, 
surveyed the world with an eye, the eye of a Buddha. And he did so, the Blessed One saw beings with little dust in their eyes, and with much dust in their eyes, with keen faculties and with dull faculties, with good qualities and with bad qualities, easy to teach and difficult to teach, and a few who dwelt seeing blame and fear in the other world. Just as a pond in a pond of blue or red or white lotuses, some lotuses might be born in the water, grow up in the water and thrive while submerged in the water without rising up from the water. Some lotuses might be born in the water, stand at an even level with the water. Some lotuses might be born in the water and grow up, but would rise up from the water and stand without being soiled by the water. So too, surveying the world with the eye of a Buddha, the Blessed One saw beings with little dust in their eyes and with much dust in their eyes. Having seen this, he answered Brahma Sahampati in verse, Open to them are the doors to the deathless, that those who have ears release faith. Foreseeing trouble, O Brahma, I did not speak the refined, sublime Dhamma among human beings. Then Brahma Sahampati, thinking the Blessed One has given his consent to my request regarding the teaching of the Dhamma, paid homage to the Blessed One and disappeared right there. <coughs> so, hmm. so this uh, Brahma Sahampati, Brahma, the sublime sphere, uh, sublime sphere, sublime domain, Saham is all pati, the overseer. So some overseeing, compassionate, uh, refined quality, say, descends into this mind, awakened mind, and generates this stimulation to, to speak, to bring forth, for those who bring forth their faith, their aspiration, their willingness to listen, and uh, gain confidence. So, mm, the sadha, very important uh, beginning of it all, mm, as I was saying yesterday. And just the piece to almost uh, learn by heart, mm, the state is hard to see, the stilling of all formations, is sankara. The relinquishment of all acquisitions, upadi. Destruction of craving, tanha. Dispassion, viraga. Cessation, niroda, nibbana, the unbound, or the unbinding. So, and uh, here the contra the uh, although the confused mind delights in adhesion, the word here is alaya, alaya, which means a kind of storing, retaining, hoarding, uh, kind of accumulative 
quality or tendency to aggregate, to stick things together, to bond, to bind things, to own, to possess, to hoard, to become, to solidify everything, yeah, uh, to reify. Mm. So there's lots of all that in, in that in that word, mm. that which embeds things and makes them concrete, established, permanent, and so forth. Um, and something in a seeks that gives us a sense of firmness or ground or stability. Uh, and uh, such that uh, beings by and large will find themselves almost instinctively moving towards that, that sense of there where it feels uh, safe or steady or established or known or reliable without checking out what it really is. <laughs> reliable. It's an instinct, you know. Mm. And we can see this on various levels, you know. Um, you know institutions, uh, governments, they will present solid, reliable <laughs> structures. And yet when you look into them, they're all kind of, <laughs> you know, tangled up messes, really, that are just aggregated by, by uh, well, you know, power, uh, money, influence, um, stuff. And when one looks into, you know, the microcosm, this sense of this being, another aggregate, another aggregated experience, seems to be solid. You look at it, it's held together by tension, by uh, hope, by holding on to something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you look into it, it's really just stuff whirling around, isn't it? Moving around, shifting, vibrating, pulsing, uh, ricocheting, loops and loops and loops, playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, in the speed of it all, it seems solid. So you start to calm it, and you realize, well, it's not solid. But still, the urge for for something to orient to to rave, to establish, to give one orientation remains as a fundamental um, um, call in both in order to function and to be something. It's a psychic domain. The very psychic domain means the level at which things, one has a coherent psyche. It kind of operates as some sort of basic unity, even it's kind of a bit weird at times, at least. <laughs> Seems like me. <laughs> and, and you know, so okay. Um, so that's 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 the the uh, the aggregate, the accumulation, the the binding together. And you know, one with some understanding, one recognizes well. Yeah, but this is actually just, you know. Uh, a skillful factor and an unskilled factor. Uh, this is uh, energies, these are sensations, this is memory, this is anticipation, this is cultural conditioning, this is personal history, this is, you know, some of its natural functioning, some of its social orientation, some of its, yeah, it's all sort of forces and energies which, you know, you don't want to go into in fine detail. Some are agreeable, some are a bit confused. Some are skillful and some are um, compulsive. You know? so it sticks together as a sort of me thing. Yeah? That's what we call by 
the adhesion, and adhesion always needs something to feed on to keep it together. So as you know, its power structures always want more to keep them going because they, they inherently adhesion is not true. So in order to keep it going, it has to be constantly fed. It doesn't self-sustain, right? Because it's not a natural form. It's a constructed thing. So it constantly requires energy, money, feeding, something to keep it in this state. Yeah. And that's, you know, not necessarily evil, but that's what we call dukkha. <laughs> it's incomplete. And, you know, in reasonable everyday life, you say, well, okay, just get what you need to keep the thing kind of intact um, in a skillful way uh, 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 for, for purposes of uh, practice, purposes of staying alive and so on, mm-hmm. doing and acting as, as a responsible agent. But it is still an adhesion. One doesn't delight in it. It's just the requirement. Mm. You know, right? It's just uh, what we do. It's, it's not some, you know. And those who do delight in it, you one feels very should feel indeed suspicious of it. These are the people who want fame, celebrity, status, power. And when it becomes, you can see it very clearly as that becomes established. This is the kind of person you want to feel comfortable with because they're generally sucking energy out to keep their their thing going. That's a liar. And it's a liar, that's all right. (laughs) Because it says things are not true. Anyway, for that kind of inclination, seeks that it's difficult to see or even comprehend specific conditionality dependent origination and this is um the the um the understanding of existence the buddha it's conditioned uh, and it's specific condition this and the simple phrase of this is when this comes to be this comes to be when this doesn't come to be this doesn't come to be with the arising of this is the arising of that. With the ceasing of this is the ceasing of that. So, you know, it's it's. Uh, so that is both a recognition of the of the conditional uh, and mutable fact of existence. It also is a key to saying, you know, if you get the right sets of conditions or remove the wrong ones, things are going to shift. So our our encouragement is well, let's look at the factors uh, are the conditional, the particular specific conditions that you can access that are actually uh, doing you harm, don't take you anywhere good, uh, are confusing, destructive, abusive, uh, and looking at them, uh, do you harm, that, crit- that, do, that abuse you, <laughs> uh, that, that suck energy out, and aim towards unplugging those. And those conditions that uh, support peace, clarity, self-sustaining, as you know, I, I'm not constantly searching for something to keep sucking in, uh, uh, and we can reduce that 
and you want a sense of, of uh, stability, inner poise, uh, true orientation, yeah. and there is a true orientation, those conditions you want to support, even if it means having to work for it, struggle for it. Mm. The Buddha said, uh, indeed, mm. this that I have discovered, um, which took, you know, with so much hardship, what I found, enough with trying to teach what I found with so much hardship, it wasn't easy. Mm. But uh, having found it through his own hardship, the sense is it could be easier for you. But it probably... (laughs) (laughs) Well, me. (laughs) Some hardship. And then we look into this, so uh, what specific conditionality dependent things are mutable, things are changed, there's a dynamic here. It's not actually as stuck and as solid as it may seem to be. Mm. So we look at where's the flexing, like you're undoing a knot that's very, seems completely tied, solid. You look for where's the little loose end, even if it doesn't seem to be absolutely central, you're not gonna deal with the center of the knot first, you deal with the peripheries, yeah, yeah. Because the bits that just got a little bit of flex in them, you keep flexing those and that flexing will gradually find its way into the center and begin to loosen it. So it's like that. Yeah. So, and what is this? Um, well, the end result, stilling of all formations. So that which is supportive to stilling, not destroying or eliminating, but stilling uh, Sankara formations, and then we'll go into that, what that's about. Relinquishment of acquisition, upadi, which um, uh, doesn't mean like your, your postage stamp collection, but um, the that which establishes the sense of self, personal history, even the foundation, foundational assumption, uh, I am. Mm. A thing, a something, or a nothing, or a bit of both. Destruction of craving, that's pretty clear. Tanha, thirst, which is not a chosen motivation, but a pathological reflex. Hunger, thirst, destruction of that. Mm. Dispassion, um, instead of the the flare and the trumpets, uh, the silence and the space, cessation, ceasing, rest instead of activity, mm. nibbana, release. So, in all this. Um, specific conditionality and you're probably all aware of things in the list of dependent origination but remember this is a much larger uh, topic than just Patichasamupada it's a whole principle of this that conditioning so we started in fact to look at some of those 
support conditions already, you know, sila, samadhi, panya, five indriya as supportive conditions. Mm. Um, the arising and affirming of sadha is the diminishment of doubt and confusion. When the arising and firming up of virya is the is the subsiding of uh, distracted energy, purposeless energy, or in, or impotence. Mm. The arising and establishment of sati mindfulness is the subsiding of distractedness, going off point, proliferation, spinning out. With the arising and persistence of samadhi, there is the gathering in and the subsiding of the impingement and the distraction through the senses and of course thinking mind as the predominant one. And with the the rising of wisdom is the dispelling of confusion, delusion, seeing things wrongly, turning, seeing things upside down or not seeing things at all. (laughs) Yeah. So this, that, this, that, the rising of one, the rising of the other. So in this process of uh, you know, the mutability then, this uh, principle of, uh, uh, of skillful activity or skillful dynamic input is uh, uh, priority. Uh, and, and the activity, a dynamic input that leads to stillness, interesting. Mm, leads to uh, stilling. Mm. And we see this in start with the loose end of the knot, you know, by making resolution, determination to put aside uh, accumulated activities. There's a lessening of activity. Yeah. Even to, to make determination to put aside unskillful activities, there's a lessening of the agitation and the uh, worrying remorse, um, planning manipulation. Mm. So these are very these are the loose ends that we've already sure uh, worked on. And with the <coughs> lessening of distractedness, that activity, and putting determination into uh, framing up, maintaining clear reference. Yeah stable reference, maintaining boundary of attention, boundaries of intention, boundaries of action, what we do, what we don't do. We're always, you know, by that dynamic, constantly feeding into that against the current of the world to distract, to blow out, to proliferate. There is, you know, know, sustaining, uh, causing a certain stillness to occur. It's not end of the line, but that's that's the loose end of the knot and you start moving in and firm and keeping that end loose, keeping loosening up and just giving it moving in. And meditation or this uh, contemplative work is really where we're coming into the, the centre of the knot and actually um, I would say, you know, and maybe what might be slightly different, I'm saying don't go into the centre too quick because you can end up going to the really tough places and then feeling you can't do it because you haven't actually worked in, you know, carefully enough. You've perhaps jumped to where it really hurts or it feels really stuck. And that 
is too much. So you've got to work around where there's a little bit of play on it. And, and, it, and it will feed in because all this stuff is inter, interwoven. Mm. And yeah, Sankara. So this is the dynamic. And uh, so this word Sankara is quite uh, pivotal, crucial in, in you know, as our as our focus, our place of attention. Remember, everything is mutable. Everything's in dynamic. Therefore, to get a handle on that dynamic is is really crucial. And we might say that it uh, operates in certain uh, ways that we can handle it. Mm. Operates in terms of attention, intention, and uh, impression, or desert, or interpretation. So as I was ex- saying uh, yesterday, and just to reiterate some of that consciousness, uh, the, one of the, the sequence that we can see in dependent origination, one of them, often the starting place with the Buddha's exposition is uh, vijnana, uh, sankara, vijnana, nama rupa. That is with these sankara, these formative tendencies. Sankara is not an easy word, like many of these are not, they're easy to translate. Formative tendencies, formative dynamics, formative patterns, this formative process, with the, that comes in, consciousness conjures a world of nama, rupa, name and form. So, immediately, and so, uh, you know, unquestioned, that it seems to be the real thing. And it, it is very much like a solid thing out there, because it's solid out there, yeah. There's a sort of solid person watching it or sensing it. Yeah. There's a me, and there's an it. There's a me in a world. Nama. I'm the the me, the namer, the knower, the one who interprets, the one who feels, the one who perceives, the one who adjusts. Yeah. I'm in here, and there's a world out there of stuff. Yeah. Which is sights and sounds and and so on and well, even in the mind here I am working with my mind my mind is the object and here I am trying to do stuff to it make it work Nama Rupa Nama the naming the me bit if you could say the subject Rupa the object and that's that's so often what we spend a lifetime doing the Nama the me bit trying to make the world, the object, some something, yeah, hopefully agreeable, mm-hmm. helpful, uh, yeah, and certain uh, actions within that. So this sankara is not just a one-off thing; it, it's a, a vein or that infiltrates everything. Mm-hmm. So it affects consciousness; it gets consciousness active to do this process of generating things. Yeah. And the way it acts is it, first of all, it, it 
does a double act between the eye, for example, the eye organ and the mind. So we see something as immediate mental interpretation of that. Um, that's a that's called perception. That's a clock. That's a Susan. That's you know whatever. That's a tree. Mm. Object. And then the feeling about that. Oh, stimulation. That's the uh, interpretation, and then the feeling that arises, and then more sankara start happening. Or what should I do about this? So that process, the activation, then continues into other forms of activity. So consciousness, but consciousness first of all, does this synthesis between eye and mind, between ear and mind. So between eye and ear and mind, it t- ties all these things together to form a world of objects. But then if you actually say, okay, we can all agree, there is certainly a thing as we experience called sensor, sense consci- consciousness. So let's take a simple one, the eye, what does the eye actually see? And you recognize, well, oh yeah, I see people. I see people sitting on cushions. And it's so, no, you know, you know. That's attention did that. A particular mental action of focusing on 5% of the visual field, maybe, and framing that up and the rest just goes in kind of blurry background. So you take a 5%, that's called attention. It narrows the lens, so I can get a nice sharp definition of the chanting book or the person's hand or whatever. It can be quite, and the attention's very good at getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> the smaller it gets, the sharper it gets. The bigger it gets, the more blurry it gets. That's a mental action. That's not the eye. The eye will follow that mental inclination. It'll say, oh, look at the book look at her hand, look at the cushion, look at the door. But that's a mental thing. That's not the eye doing that, is it? The the mind tells the mind, do that. Why? Because it seeks to find an object because, either because it's pleasant or it's useful or it's necessary or it's important. It's got a motivation to do that. That's intention. Right? So intention, attention, those are mental actions. And uh, third one, there's this contact, impression. It means, ah, I get it. There's an arising of a kind of energy of interpretation. That's it. It's not just seen. It's seen and resonated with in some way strikes. And depending on how it strikes, motivation, that's pleasant, more. That's unpleasant, less. <laughs> that's interesting, forget it. Oh no, get to it, go into it. That's not interesting, forget it. You know, it's basically degrees of some stimulation occur that then steer around further intention. So we find ourselves mesmerized by a particular detail and as the mind goes into that, that detail becomes massive, right? Suddenly a point becomes a field, a form. You know, if only I got a, you know, she's got a this, if I had one of those, wow, look at that fantastic thing she has. 
you know, suddenly that's that's it, magnificent, mag, you know, huge thing it becomes a, a mental object. Mm. Right. So that's what that's the kind of thing that happens. So that's when the process of this dynamic is moving in one direction, and uh, in this kind, of, uh, but that's all created. Now, you look at it more benevolently, it could be, I see something that causes me concern, I want to do something about it, that's a nuisance, I want to focus on, I'm really getting there, okay, the same thing happens, out of the field of potential objects, something is seen that, that you know, one attends to, registered, one attends to that detail, one goes to that, and then, you know, the intention to change it, to make it better, to support it, to get rid of it, whatever, maybe good intention, it's still intention, right? And then some kind of resonance of succeeding or working with or whatever that's occurring. Now that's, there's no particular judgment on that apart from to say that's all specifically generated, good or bad. So that's the world. Nama Rupa, conditioned. So one of, uh, with some clarity and understandings is, well, within that frame of reference, what particular, since that's what happens, what particular kinds of attention and intention will perhaps lead to less agitation, less pain, uh, less abuse, uh, more harmony. Work on that. Whether it arises or not, I don't know. Let's aim in that way, and keeping and bearing in mind, keep referring to what the results are of that. Yeah? So this is a skillful intention. This is where we have to start. Yeah? I mean, so we intend, inclined towards these very well-rehearsed boundary uh, topics, such as sila, generosity, and of course, renunciation. Let go of a little bit, less to juggle with, hands are gonna get less full, um, Mm, the less full, they become more nimble. Mm. And, uh, uh, and more sensitive. Mm. Let go of a little bit more. Mm. Just in order to deal with things more skillfully. Otherwise, if you just flood it overwhelmed, it's not going to happen. So this is our retru- retreat intention. You firm that up. And if you're, you know, as you're looking to continue your practice, those are things you always want to have in mind as pretty much uh, that which goes against the stream. Difficult to do, um, but yet that's, that's, the, that's what firms up that resolution to go against the stream of acquiring more and more and more, feeling that you're gonna get, it's going to be for your welfare will not be for your welfare. 
Mm, this is gain. Mm. So, so you're using a particular set of dynamic input to counteract the other dynamic input. Mm. And this we might say is behavioral. And then we come to uh, meditation, contemplation, based on that, because you begin to see, yeah, you can operate this thing. And, and often when you operate it, you, you first of all you meet, oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's impossible. Or, I don't have to do that. They can't force me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why I should have to give that. <laughs> you, know, you meet those kind of voices or, no, I can't, I couldn't possibly survive without that. And just, okay, the doubt and resistance. You see, you can just kind of bear with it a little bit more. Yeah, soften, kindness, goodwill, just try. Try a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Drip, 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 you know. And then, oh, I could, at least for a day. I could sit still for 15 minutes. Wonderful. It wasn't, you know. uh, I didn't have to be doing something. I could t- turn things off for half an hour, you know. These are things not to take lightly when you look around the world, I'll tell you. <laughs> so then whatever skillful thing, in order to maintain it, you've got to recollect it, that that drip, that sankara. You know, it's a skillful one. So you've got to, and the, the sense is that with awareness amplifies whatever. So if you direct your awareness to the skillful, that becomes the dominant feature, the dominant quality that is, um, ab- you know, one abides in. You begin to abide in the gladness of that. Mm. That's very important, you know, to keep in touch with that, that drip of skillfulness and by awareness making it into a stream. Because that stream then goes against the stream of the world. And much of our daily practice is just about that. We call it developing parami. You know, virtues, skillful, sustaining virtues to go against the push of the world. Mm. You come into more contemplation and meditation, you know, then uh, you know, where renunciation is so much a part of meditation, you know, the relinquishment, because it goes against the pull of the senses. Strongly, directly, and uncompromisingly. You know, it's you're closing your eyes, you're switching the sounds off, you're sitting still. I mean, that's powerful. And naturally everything gets pretty agitated with that. mind starts, the, the one you can't tie down is the mind, you can't switch off is the mind that starts going bananas, you know, over, uh, you know, and then you start to dripping into that with goodwill, patience, spaciousness, putting in the dynamic of calming, soothing, and then also, the, you know, the intention and the attention, which is another sankara, don't get mesmerized by your own demons. If you give them attention, they feed on it. Doesn't mean you're dismissing them, it's just saying this, just get, so just this quality to, I won't say disattend, 
not really disattention, it's just the wider one's attention. So it's not about suppression, although that may be necessary, just to completely blank it out if it's just totally overwhelming. But um, hopefully we can come to places where we can witness these difficult, painful, struck, stuck places. And so the, here in a sense is just the widen one's attention. Because when you widen attention, the intensity of the detail diminishes. That's just the function you can see in visual consciousness. If you widen your attention, the figures become fuzzy. And just the lessening of that. Now, specifically again, you know, point, which isn't by him, is the only point, which is an example coming into the body, the physical discomforts in the body. And naturally, one's attention will tend to go into those. And as it does so, it generates the agent who tries to shake it off. Or, yeah, or the impression, uh, this is disagreeable, it shouldn't be here. Hmm? The feeling, disagreeable. The perception, you know, alien, don't want it, wrong. You know, physical feeling. And, uh, and then you stay with that, the truth comes. It doesn't care whether you want it or not. <laughs> and it doesn't do what you want it to do. Your agency has just been declared bankrupt. <laughs> Your wishes have been denied. And that, so there's a bit of heartbreak there. But then rather than keeping the sadha, the faith, that you know, all Buddhas experience this, they have bodies widening one's attention. Just changing the intention, letting go of the agent or making the agent be one that widens rather than overcomes the widening. Say in the body, feeling the entire form and then that particular painful piece is yeah, it's there, but it's now 5% rather than 98% of one's attention. And then also changing one's agency to one of, not of, you know, getting rid of it or even trying to figure out why, but what's helpful now? Not what's you know, we'll make this go away, but what supports abiding here? So because we're looking to stillness, to stilling, less action. Yeah. This is an interesting one, because of course, our system knows, for example, you've got a painful leg, or you've got to stand up and wander around, or have a massage and it'll be gone for a while. And you work, you find your way with this. To, you know, but you can experiment with it, say widening attention to include the entire form and then, you know, binding it. Let the body make the choice. At a certain point, the body will just know it's enough. Okay. Much more useful mental pain. 
mental pain and anguish. And this is associated with the experience of frustration, uh, impotence, uh, being crushed, um, feeling disoriented, uh, unable to settle, can't make this work, and all the mental feeling of sadness, despond, irritability that comes with that. And then the erosion of faith, the, the wearing down of faith, and loses confidence. Um, so this is more useful area to focus on. Is actually, you know, the body experiences pain, um, probably not too much of the time. Mind can be in pain most of the time. <laughs> Some kind of unpleasant feeling is, is quite normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you meditate. And uh, the other factor of mental feeling is well, actually, getting up and walking around won't change it that much, really. In fact, it might add another thing. Oh, well, you couldn't do it, could you? <laughs> so more dumb. <laughs> You're too weak or feeble. or He can sit like it, I can't. Energy, you know. So more of that stuff gets generated. So, you know, the response, widening, this is the mind. This is this mind that, uh, and what is really happening here are certain factors occurring. There's the memory, there's the energy, there's the physical discomfort, and there's the reaction to it. And there's the story around it. Is it possible to, first of all, lessen the action that comes from reactivity. How do you do that? Well, you might start to widen your attention. Just make it so that all you want to do is be more softly present. Perhaps less hard and sharp, knowing more softly present. Mm. More spaciously present, generating space around uncomfortable, disappointing mental feeling with a sense that it doesn't have to be the way I want it to be. That's, that gives you a lot more room. Mm. And that sense of having more room itself has got a certain relief, certain stilling of some compulsive activities begins right there. Some sankharas start to die down. We become more spacious, equanimous, compassionate. These come in. Mm. You know, so spaciousness, widening attention, and again, you know, deep attention means instead of just this superficial attention that's just, you know, clamped on things and jumping from this to that, or speeding up, make jumping to conclusions. You know, this means this, this, you know, jumping, jump, 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 jump. Attention that pauses, pauses, and and. Often what helps with pausing is just to keep interjecting a question. 
So deep attention doesn't have answers, it has questions. Deep attention doesn't have uh, a strategy, it has an invitation to response. So, and the, the, you know, the, the question, which doesn't actually ask for a verbal answer, could be something like, in this, this being as it is, this state being what it seems to be, mm, what is helpful now? What is helpful? What is beautiful? What is appropriate? What is noble? What is generous? What is loving? What is kind? What is spacious? What is yeah, fresh? Yeah, any of those. But it's really not that, oh no, go away. But what is what? It's like a question. Now the question, the point of, of a question is, whenever you ask a question, the mind must pause. That's the point of it. The problem is in statements. This is this and this and this. And we're quite good at writing stories. This is this and this because of that and so and so. And if I did this and then my father and so and this and this and this. And stories, 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 stories. Those are all statements. And it says in this book, and sometimes I read it here, and I know this, and I'm a rational person. And he said, we write to think why I don't want anything. Stories, stories. And some stories are better than others, but <laughs> but that's part of that's the weaving, isn't it? And so there's still the sense of something is being woven into a solid matrix, a net, which becomes uh, an I am, you know, quite a long story. We are in fact seemingly a series of conversations that are ricocheting around. So the the question, what? Who said that? I don't know. It's a funny question to ask if you ask me. This question, what's the point of questioning after all? <laughs> so, no point asking a question you can't find. Who said that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the question, but what? Huh? 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 And it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like the chanting. It's not what it means, it's what it does. What it does is it momentarily breaks through the conversation. Isn't it? And some of these conversations can be verbal, some of them are emotional conversations, aren't they? They're kind of surging of oh, frustration, passion, spinning. And it's just... How do you how do you ask a question of an emotion? Hmm? What's the question of emotion? Hmm? It might be something like, uh huh. It shouldn't be like this. Well, I have to put up with this. Uh huh. <laughs> After I tried so hard all these years. Uh huh. In other words, it's it's not following the stream. It's kind of interrupting the stream. So when you get that little boot in the door, as it were, that little break, and then you pop in. Before the mind kind of gets back on its feet again and starts running, 
Uh, you pop the next question, what's helpful? Yeah, but what's helpful right now? Uh, I don't know what's helpful right now. At least, how does it feel to ask that question? Where's that question coming from? Who is it talking to? Who is it asking for a response from? So it's actually just going through the page. Instead of writing more on the page, it's penetrating the page. Who's behind this? It's you I want to get the answer from, not the stuff on the page. Poking the jitter. Wake up. So it's a, it's a kind of question or, or a topic technique. You could say deep attention. Deep exactly is it. It's the surface skimming along. You just pop through the web, even for an instant second. It could be how does this feel? How does this thought process feel? You're, you're stepping outside the script. How does it feel to be with this thought? Oh, a lot of movement, agitation. How does it feel to be with that? What's helpful? There was the answer, you breathed out. You know, it's the chitta doesn't always come up with words. It may come up with body shifts. It may come up with emotional shifts. It may just get a sense of something, releases. There's a stepping back, there's a broader perspective. That's called relinquishment. It's, you know, doesn't mean that's gone forever, but we, somehow or another, out of this mysterious, seemingly solid weave, we found a little loose point to enter into, and something shifts, releases momentarily. And perhaps with that, some of the innate belief in the script is challenged. Something, once you've done that a few times, it's occurred a few times, something begins to know. Even if I haven't finished the story, I know it's a story. And I'm now much more cautious about following that. I'm much more looking for how do I penetrate it rather than how do I write another sentence on it to the story. Mm. So now when we come into, you see there is, a, so there, is, there is an action, you could say, that leads to the end of action. There's an action that leads to the end of that compulsive running on. Well, it's called uh, various names, viveka, sense of stepping off, stepping back from the engagement with the story, with the script, with the compulsive reactions, viveka. Dispassion means there's a coolness, there's an openness, there's a spaciousness rather than another rushed solution. 
cessation, something, a tiny something perhaps, another millimeter of the knot loosens. Just that. A little bit of the acquisition becomes less concrete, more a habit than an entity. Not so much a me, but a habit that I begin to, something begins to sense, this is the real piece that could be undone. With the undoing of this is the undoing of those sankharas that lead to the generation of a world and a self in endless, seemingly endless tangle. Mm. A deep attention question, a question that doesn't search for an answer, but just breaks the stream, breaks through the flood, breaks through the page. And uh, absorption into that, the more uh, that one can uh, almost enrich or deepen or add to the dimensionality of that experiences through body, because the body begins to resonate with release, or it feels the resonances, certain of it's because of the you know, the, the, the compulsive habituations get embodied into our nervous system, into our energy channels. We find ourselves, our system naturally just reflexes and reacts along certain energy lines. Uh, it comes even to the muscles, the face tenses, the fingers tighten, the chest shrinks, the guts seize, whatever, you know. And the converse, they can open. So definitely this living body this inner body, this emotive body is a living being that's in sync with these mental dispositions. Similarly, for a benefit, it's also in sync with the dispositions and the generation and the progress of liberation. So as it becomes more complete, more open, more full, it acts like a, like a, a store, a different kind of a store not a storehouse of sorrow and pain and negativity and affliction, but a storehouse like an open house for Dhamma. Like a nest, which you can feel steadied. And most important, mm, quality of feeling, mm, which is the Characteristically, one of the prime triggers for Sankara is the quality of pleasure pain, whereby we get that reflex. Now within this living embodied sense, then the mental feelings associated with uh, virtue, with respect, with love, with goodwill, with compassion, and so forth, they also have an effect in the body. So this then becomes uh, 
a tremendous resource because then this uh, the body energies start to almost uh, clarify so that certain reflexes begin to not occur you know, on a kind of reflexive level they, they you, know, you don't have to have the jump So it's sort of like it really does lay down territory in this this very world, in this domain. This is what uh, Samadhi is about, one of the things it's about. So, you know, part of our practice is really just the specific conditions that help to make this very felt body into a a place that is um, not just the accumulated tangles and tensions, but also accumulated blessings, mm. the composure, mm. the connectedness, mm. the sympathy. So just as the specific conditions support suffering, specific conditions support release. And it's our function is to keep asking those pointed questions into this embodied mind. You know, what is ne- what's needed now, what's helpful now, or even what's not needed now. What's not helpful now, such as future, past, <laughs> images of myself, <laughs> stuff that not only not needed, but directly obstructive. Mm. So that's, that's the encouragement, that's the question, that's the process. And we wait for the answer. And when it comes, you, get, you feel it resonate. There's an aha. That's also clearly understood. It's not just the good idea, it, it settles and there's an embodied shift and a resonance with that. Mm. And then one begins, this, one sadha begins, becomes confident. It's not just you aspire, you trust, but also you know. Your intelligence has woken up. the deep intelligence, chitta intelligence. As it says, you know, this is beyond the realm of reasoning. Thank goodness. So let's um, pause for now.